Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, today I'll be doing a um, Bible reading from Galatians 5:13 to 18. Life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another by uh, humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You probably haven't heard of Zappos.com. Maybe you have, but they're a, a, a shoe company. They're actually now a shoe uh, and apparel, clothing and that sort of thing company in the US. Uh, but when they started out, they were a small little startup trying to compete in a very competitive sector. The shoe space. Now, shoes are worth a lot of money globally. And so to get started in that space is a really difficult challenge. Uh, so when Zappos got started, they kind of wanted to decide what sort of company they were going to be in and what were going to be their key metrics. And, and often what was the case in the shoe sales space was if you had people calling in, uh, you wanted to get to the sale as quickly as you could and get them closed so you could take the next call. But Zappos decided that they wanted to take a different approach. And so the key metric that they set for themselves was how long, not short, can they stay on the phone? And now, I'll be honest with you, there's a little bit of me that goes, oh, I don't, want, I don't want to be on the phone for a long time. Like, that's not what I'm looking for. But actually, there's a reason and a purpose behind what they were doing with this. See, it wasn't that they were meant to fabricate phone calls that just kept on going and going and going but that they didn't want to do that hard sales push. They didn't want to make it seem like they were just trying to get the sale and move on. The record in the early days, and I'm not, I, I can't vouch that this is still one of their key metrics because they've changed quite a bit as a company, uh, but one of the things that they actually did was the record in the early days was six hours. They were on the phone for six hours. See, a potential customer had called in and, and just because of the way they went about the conversation, they actually divulged that they just lost their husband. And so they ended up opening up to the sales agent and rather than trying to fold them off and sort of get to the end, oh, they're obviously not going to buy and move on, they sat there and they listened. And they built relationship with the customer. Now, what's amazing about this story is the customer didn't buy any shoes. So they spent six hours on this customer. They didn't buy any shoes. But the reason behind it and the heart of the company when it started was they didn't actually just want to sell shoes. They didn't just want customers. They wanted relationships. And I'm sure that lady that spent six hours on the phone, the next time that she actually needs to buy shoes, I'm sure she called them up and probably had another six-hour phone call uh, and actually bought some shoes because they were after relationship. 
not just meeting some criteria or meeting the check mark and sort of ticking a box. It was so much deeper than that. We're continuing our series today looking at a Christian worldview. What does it mean for those who call themselves Christians to actually say they look at the world from a Christian perspective? What makes a Christian worldview? Uh, There are so many churches in the world and there's so many expressions of faith and what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, How can we sort of boil it down to saying what are those core criteria that effectively almost all churches or at least to some degree a large portion of churches would say this is the way to look at the world from a Christian perspective? What, What are the essentials? Of the Christian faith. Uh, we spent a few weeks looking at origins because no one disagrees on origins whatsoever. There's, there's definitely nothing contentious in that space. There's lots of things there. And so we boiled that down to some very central things. And, and the main central thing we discussed is the idea that the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's kind of where we left it with digging into a few other things. Uh, then we moved into meaning. What is the meaning of life? Uh, What is the purpose of why we exist? And we rediscovered a little phrase uh, that's actually translated as work and worship. Uh, It's the Hebrew word avodah. And and so many ways it weaves itself through the scripture that actually work and worship are at the heart of why we actually exist. Now, if meaning gives the why then morality gives us the how. So how then do we live? It's great to have a philosophical conversation around why we exist, but what do we actually do? How do we live life? And so last week we looked at the law. Why did the law exist? Why why did God give us some of the law in the Old Testament and what was its purpose and what was its place and, and where does that fit in the world today and within faith today? And so one of the things that we expressed to sort of summarize last week's message for those who wouldn't have heard it is that the law was never intended to save. It was never intended that you could follow the law so well that you would actually gain salvation. The law was never intended to save, but instead intended to point people towards the need for a saviour. That as you read through the Old Testament, read through the law and, and read through all the rules, because there seems to be so many rules. Part of the reason for those to exist was not that you actually could ever fulfill them. You could ever live them out fully in and of yourself, but to actually help you realize your need for a savior. And so if the law isn't the morality that we find our salvation through, if, if following the rules and getting the rules all right isn't actually the way to God, then what do we actually do? How then do we live? If if following Jesus isn't just about following a rule book, how do we live? I want to start today in Romans. We're going to spend most of the time in Galatians. But I want to start today in Romans. So if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along with me, uh, jump to Romans chapter 13. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. I'd love you to follow along. We also have it on the screen. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
I start here very deliberately. So Paul, this is the, the Apostle Paul writing to the people in Rome. And he's trying to help them understand what it means to live Christianly. Uh, there's obviously a whole lot of things being taught and there's a lot of trying to work out, you know, what are the Jewish stuff do we follow and, and what of this new Christian world do we follow and how do these sort of play together? And so Paul writes to them and says this. And the language here, for those that were here last week, this should be like ringing alarm bells just about. It should be really standing out because the language that Paul uses is the language of Jesus. See, when Jesus was asked questions around, is he coming to get rid of the law? Is he coming to sort of throw the law away? Is, is the law wrong? Jesus is very clear and he says, I did not come to remove the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to bring it to its fullness, to its fruition, to, to actually what it was for. And so now we have Paul as he's speaking to the people in Rome and, and trying to help them understand what is the place of the law and, and how does the law play out and what is it about. And he says to them this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. If you love others, if in the way you go about your life, you find ways to love one another, to live a life of love, you will fulfill the law. So the, the, the thing with the word of love is, love is a word of relationship. It's a word of relationship. It, it, it kind of has this sense of understanding one another in that place. And so we're going to put that to the side and we're going to move into our Galatians passage and we're going to dig into that idea of relationship a little bit more as we proceed. So Galatians chapter 5. Uh, this is where we're going to spend most of our time for the rest of this morning. So Galatians chapter 5, and we'll just pick off the first verses 4 to 6. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Uh, we actually find a very similar problem going on here. So this is the same person, Paul. He wrote to Roman, the Roman people before. Now he's writing to the people of Galatia. And they've got a very similar issue going on. They've got a whole lot of Christians that are going back to following the law and trying to actually meet Jesus by following the law. And there's a lot of debate about circumcision. Do we need to get circumcised? Do we not get circumcised? Uh, it's very clear in the law that you've got to be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you're not following the law. And so Paul's wanting to clarify for them and help them understand you're missing the point. You have gone back to following the law and trying to meet Jesus through the law. You've fallen away from grace. That grace frees you from those things. It's not that they're done away with, but it's fulfilled through Christ and through grace. And the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
But one of the ways that this actually plays out in today's culture, and one of the things that's important for us as we think about how then do we live, is in many ways in our Western contemporary culture, we've actually made faith a personal thing. That it's actually, as long as I'm living the right way, it doesn't matter what else is going on. And we sort of made it about personal piety and personally living out and I'm not going to sort of press it in any places and I'm not going to sort of push any envelopes. But if you're going to express faith through love, faith is not going to be remaining personal. That doesn't mean you go out and tell everyone and say, oh, I'm a Christian and you have to do this. That, that's not expressing true love. But it does mean that you're actually not going to keep it all to yourself. That one of the things that inspires your everyday life is how today, in the way that I interact with my work colleagues, in the way that I interact with my family, in the way that I interact with my neighbours, in the way that I post on social media, and the things that I say in the places that I go, how am I going to express my actions through love? And that the lens of everything you do that it would go through is through the lens of love. How am I going to be close into living in the way that Jesus would call me to live? Well, how am I going to make sure that everything I do is expressed through love? He goes on a bit later on and says in chapter 5, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled. There's that phrase again. The entire law is fulfilled. It's made complete. In keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. One of the challenging, reality, challenging realities of faith is that relationships are tricky. Have you ever noticed that relationships are tricky? It'd be really easy if relationships had the rules that you just follow. And if you just do those, you get it right. But it never seems to happen that way. And so one of the things about faith is you have actually been given freedom. One of the great bits of the New Testament, the understanding of what Jesus actually achieved for us is, yes, you actually have been made free. You can do what you want to some degree. Again, we'll cover that as we go. But that freedom is not given for you to indulge the flesh. It's not given so that you can go and do whatever you want to do and, and sort of just throw away all the consequences. The freedom is given with a very specific purpose in mind. Serve one another. That actually freedom is required for that to really happen from a place of love. If you're forced to serve one another, you're doing it under obligation. If, if the requirement for salvation was that you served one another, you would do it so that you tick the box. If the requirement was that you did these things so that you can go to heaven or so that you can know Jesus, you would do them, but the motivation behind it would be so you could tick the box. 
freedom is actually a requirement that we need it to be able to then express it by choice. And the risk that comes with giving freedom is that you might use your freedom in another way. And so Paul is warning them and saying, people in Galatia, you've been given freedom. Don't go back to the law. The law just constricts you. The law just actually binds you in place. But those of you who are embracing this freedom, don't use it to indulge the flesh. Don't use it to just open yourself up to all of these things and to make it about you. The reason for this freedom is so that you can love one another from a place of relationship. See, it's freedom to serve, not freedom to indulge. The reason and the purpose for the freedom that is gained by faith is not so that you can do all the things you ever wanted to do, but so you can actually serve out of a place of love and not obligation that comes from the law. Uh, just picking on that relationship sort of thread for a moment. Uh, anyone who's in a relationship, if you've got, whether it's a family relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship, maybe it's even just a friendship relationship, you all know that there are absolutely do's and don'ts in your relationship. There are things that you should do. There are things that you shouldn't do. But you're also aware that it's so much more than that. Because you know that if you were to go to, let's say, in a friendship relationship, you, you bought something for your friend. They're like, oh, wow, thank you for buying me a gift. It's like, well, you know, I'm kind of obligated to buy my friend's gifts. That gift means nothing anymore. So, yeah, I got you a gift because, I, you know, it's a good thing to buy gifts. It's, I'm sort of ticking a box. I'm sort of making it happen. Now, is it a good thing to buy gifts for a friend? Absolutely. But if it's just about following the law, it robs it of the depth that comes from relationship. If you're in a marriage relationship, there are absolutely rules about what you should and shouldn't do. But if you go to your spouse and you say, yeah, I'm just doing it because it's what's required, you're probably going to spend a few nights in a different room or something like that. It's just not what it's about. So why would we expect our relationship with God to be any different? If we're doing things just to appease God, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just doing that, God, because you know the, well, the law tells me I have to do that. Okay, so you might be meeting the criteria. But there's no love in that. Just doing it because it's what needs to be done. So when, when Jesus says that he comes to fulfill the law, to bring it to its fullness, he's wanting to help the Christians who are going to follow after him recognize the law was never going to achieve the restoration of that which was broken. And that was the relationship that we were meant to have with God. That the law demonstrated a need for a saviour, but it did not restore relationship. And that as Jesus came and paid the penalty for what was actually lost, from that point forward, the purpose was always meant to be a restoration of relationship. Now, the relationship's hard. It would be so easy if it was just about following some rules. Okay, maybe not, because you might not want to follow the rules. But at least you would know what you should and shouldn't do at all times. 
but relationships are tricky and you do something you think is going to be received really well and it's not received well or you don't do something you think you're going to be in trouble but then you're not because it's relationships. It, it sort of moves. It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about love. It's about forgiveness. It's about recognising and thinking of the other above yourself. And that's what it means. And that's what's looked for in our relationship with God. Paul goes on to say this. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, why can Paul say that? Why can Paul say, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law? Well, Because he explains that walking by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That, that if you're actually following the Spirit, you're going to fulfill the law. If you're following the Spirit's lead and guide in your life, you're going to follow, you're going to meet, you're going to fulfill. In fact, you're going to go above and beyond what the law would require. But as we gratify the desires of the flesh, those which are contrary to what is good for us, that's where we miss the mark. So the goal is not to do less of those things, though we should. It's to get ourselves back in that place of being led by the Spirit. But in this life, there is a challenge to this. Uh, and it's, it's sort of in the way that Paul's put it here. He says they are in conflict. Not that they were. He says they are in conflict. That at this moment in this life, we live with both a now and a not yet faith. So yes, we can live by the Spirit, but we are going to be pulled by the desires of the flesh. And they are in conflict. And that is actually just part of this life. Until Jesus returns and calls us home to live in eternity with him. We have both that pull towards following the Spirit as followers of Jesus, but also that desire to do the things which are not of the Spirit. And that's a tension that we will have to manage. But if it becomes about the rules and the regulations and making sure we tick all the boxes, we will not catch what it means to live by the Spirit. We will not live in the freedom that comes in living with the Spirit. The answer is not to boil everything down into do's and don'ts, but coming to understand what does it mean to this day and every day be growing in our following of the Spirit. And the part of the reason why this exists, it's a bit of an aside, but I wanted to talk to it very briefly. Uh, in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, we're told this. Because you might be asking, why doesn't Jesus just, Jesus just come back? Like, Wouldn't it be so much easier if he just returned today so we could get on with just following the Spirit? But we're reminded again, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come 
to repentance. He is patiently taking his time, making sure that everyone in the world, that all countries and all nations and all places have an opportunity to come to him. He's patiently working towards calling the world to himself. And, and we would love for it to be quicker and we'd love to just get on with things. But God, in his wisdom, is patiently working towards calling the world to himself. And so we live in the now and not yet. We live in the tension of both wanting to follow the spirit, but also recognizing we have these things that stir inside of us, which are not of God. So what do we do? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That if you actually want, you know, do you want the list of what are the rules? What are the things you shouldn't do? Well, you know, this sort of touches on many, if not most of them. It's obvious, it's clear, there are things that are just not part of following Jesus. And so in your freedom, yes, you've got freedom. Yes, you can indulge in these things, but you are not going to be living by the Spirit. These are not the things of God. So in this life, you will battle these things. And, and as I read through those, for some of them, you would have read them and gone, yeah, that's really not an issue for me. But for others, you're like, oh, that fits of rage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when that person says those things, I really just go off the handle. That might be yours. Maybe it's factions. Maybe it's ambition. Now, there is healthy ambition and unhealthy ambition, and it's such a fine line. I wonder what your tensions in that place might be. Yes, you've got freedom, but not to indulge those things. And he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean to live a Spirit-filled life? What does it mean to be walking by the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. How then do we live? We make it our life purpose to be growing in these things. To be taking steps. So as you follow Jesus, and this is again, this is why it's not an immediate thing. When you decide to follow Jesus, you don't necessarily become this person who would be described as that. And you might spend the rest of your lifetime working on these things. But as you are growing in faith, you should be seeing these things grow in your life. You should be becoming more loving. You should be becoming more joyous. You should be more peaceful. There should be some forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. This doesn't mean there won't be challenges along the way. One of the biggest challenges we face in our cultures today is mental health is a real challenge. And actually, this list causes a lot of grief to people that are struggling with mental health. 
Because I'll look at this and go, yeah, but I'm not feeling peaceful. Yeah, but I'm not feeling joyous. Yeah, I'm not, oh, I mustn't be saved. And that is not what this list is trying to say. If you're in that place where mental health is a real challenge, please don't read scriptures like this as scriptures telling you that you're missing something. What needs to happen is you need to get the help you need to get breakthrough in those places so that these things can be true for you. But this is part of what it means to be growing in our faith. The rest of our life, it's growing in these fruit. Now, I'm trying to grow a grapevine. I don't know how much you know about grapes and about growing grapevines. It's a whole new world for me. One thing that I was told when you first start planting one is the first year you will not get any fruit. In fact, you may not get much at all in the first year because they're putting most of their effort into growing roots. Now, so I planted it sort of at the beginning of this year or end of last year, in the, in the stage you were meant to plant it. And so what happened was all these sort of shoots came out and they teach you you've got to sort of try and train it. You've got to try and pick the one that you think is going to go well of its shoots and you want to start training it. And I picked the wrong one. And I snipped off the other ones. Because that's what the thing I was reading told me to do. And so I got about this much growth in year one. So I know next year I'm not going to get, next year is effectively actually going to be year one. That next year I'll have to make sure I pick the right one and I'm going to be a bit more delicate. I might wait a bit longer and see which ones sort of start to grow the most so I can train them out to be their shoots. And then the next year, if I get that right, I might get the second year. And then maybe if I'm lucky, the year after that, I'll actually start to see some fruit. That's what it's like to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just, a, well, I'm just going to be more loving today. Just, you know, good luck with trying that. It doesn't always work that way. It takes time. You'll have false steps. You'll make mistakes. You won't quite get it the first time, necessarily. It's not to say you've missed it because the whole point of faith is that you've been given freedom. You're released from the burdens of getting things wrong and sort of, you know, getting yourself really upset and agitated. I missed it again. I missed it again. Okay, you might. Try again. Next year, try that snipping again. Get the right fruit. Maybe you'll get it next time. Maybe it'll take a bit longer. But be looking towards the fruit of the Spirit. One of the key things, and this is where, I, if you take nothing else away from today, here's the answer, what I'm hoping you might see. God doesn't want us to just appease him. The law is the law of appeasing. If you meet a law, you've appeased something. You've, you've met the requirement. God doesn't want you to just appease him, to do the right thing. He wants you to love him. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to spend six hours on the phone with you and then have you not buy anything. But relationships are tricky. They take time. And they take work. But if you're stuck in a place of appeasing God, where you're just trying to sort of meet what you think he wants of you, I kind of feel like he's looking down at you and putting his arm around you and he's just saying, just sit with me. Just for today, just sit with me. He wants you to love him. That's why he sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have life. 
Relationships are never black and white. Any relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship, a friendship relationship, a family relationship, it isn't about right and wrong, black and white. Here's the rule. You've broken it. You've met it. But they're about love and learning and growing together in that space. So there are rules. There are ways to live. There are definitely teachings the Bible teaches us. There are things the Bible says, these are the things that are going to lead to life. These are the things that are going to lead to death. And what we think is love is not always what is actual love. We have to dig into what does the Bible teach us about love? How do we know that what we're actually experiencing and expressing is actually love? Versus what the Bible tells us love is. But love is at the heart of it. It's not about the rules. Learning to follow Jesus is just as beautiful and complicated as any other relationship. Have you ever, have you ever been in those early days of a relationship when you're just sort of starting to get to know the other person? And there's kind of like butterflies and sort of things. But then you do something and they don't get back to you. And you're like, oh, did I do something wrong? And it's, it's all lovely and scary and crazy at the same time. Or in your family relationships, you're not quite sure what's going on. And something happens and you, you haven't quite got it together. There's beauty and complication, just as any other relationship. And the two last things as we draw towards a close. The role of the church. The church has a role to play. Jesus didn't leave us alone because faith was not meant to be personal. We're not meant to follow Jesus alone. We're not meant to have to work this out alone. We're not meant to have to sort of work it out and sort of get the answers and just sort of you know, stab in the dark. We're meant to do this together. We're meant to let people into our lives. And that is as beautiful and as complicated as any other life, as any other relationship. The church can be the place that you experience the most joy and it can be the place that you experience the worst pain. And unfortunately, that's the reality of places of relationship. And the answer is not to throw it away because of the potential fear of what you might experience, but to press into it and to learn to grow together into the place God calls us to. And the last one I want you to leave with, and I, I really hope that, you know, I think there are people here today who need, they need this. The role of grace. The reason why grace is given, well, one of the reasons is to allow us the space to grow into our relationship with him. Because you can know that you've been given grace, that God has forgiven you. He's wiped away all of the sins that you have committed and you're going, he has that for you in faith. You can press forward confidently knowing that you, any misstep you might take is going to be covered. Not so you're free to go off and do what you want, free to follow the Spirit. But because of grace, you don't need to live in fear. You can be freed from that worry of, am I going to get it right? Have I made the right decision? Am I following Jesus right? You can live in that place of grace and make the best decisions that you can to follow him with the information that you have, knowing that you have a loving God who's going to cover you in that space. The role of grace is so important. 
to living out a life of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can call you our Father. We thank you that you call us to relationship with you. I want to pray for each of us here today that you would meet each of us where we are. Where we're struggling, Lord, we pray you would bring us and show us and help us to feel that grace. Where we are thriving and where we're seeing more of your fruit live out in our lives, we pray you would help us to fan into a flame that faith. And where the messy middle is, where we're not sure exactly which way it is, help us in that area just to know you more. May we not live to appease you, but Lord, may we live to know you more in and through relationship with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.